Father, we do uh, thank you today so much. And Lord, I do pray that once again, God, that, man, great things would happen in our lives. And Lord, I know, I know, man, as we walk through life and life happens to us, there's, there's hard times, there's dark times. There's times where we just, we don't, we don't want to be even involved in it, and yet we find ourselves in the middle of it. And, and Lord, I, I pray for those individuals right now that in that, Lord, that today they would be able to get some, some hope and some light. They would be able to see a gracious, good God working in the lives of His people in the first century, and we can carry that over and know that that same exact God wants to work in the lives of His people in the 21st century. And Lord, I pray, I pray You'd give each one of us insight in our relationship with You and things we need to fix, things we need to refine, things we need to hold on to. And that, Lord, this would be a beneficial time for all of us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so far in the book of Acts, and, and most recently, we've been kind of looking at good stuff in the church, right? We've kind of been seeing you know, church plant going on. We've been seeing evangelism going on. We've been seeing places where the church exploded, especially last week in Antioch. Some really, really great things. Now we're going to kind of go and take a turn, go back to Jerusalem, and we're going to look at the church being persecuted. Once again, it's interesting, as you do the study in the book of Acts, in the beginning, early on in the book of Acts, it's the Sadducees, that sect of Judaism. It's those guys that come against the church first because they lost so much. They were losing some of their money. They were losing you know, their income. So they came against the church. Then, after them, the religious, the Pharisee guys got involved and they persecuted the church. And so you ended up where the church was being persecuted by the religious, you know, established religious uh, people of the time and coming against it. Now today, all of that shifts and the government starts coming against the church. And now they're going to be persecuted by, by the government. And, you know, when, when I read the book of Acts, I think, why don't these guys, like, figure things out? They don't win, right? Every time I look at it, it doesn't win. And, and then I think about people who fight against God and come against God. I really recommend they read the Bible, because they lose every time, right? It's like, it's like a no-win situation. Why do you want to get involved in that? So today we're going to see a government official deciding he's going to eliminate the church. And it's not going to work. Look at verse 1. We've got to introduce this whole, this whole family to you. Look at verse 1. It says, Now at that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. I want to take just a moment and talk about the Herod, the dynasty of the Herods. So we kind of pick up, because some of us may not be familiar, we read Herod the king and we think, who is that guy? This guy here is Herod Agrippa. But we got to back up a little bit to figure out where he com comes from. And Herod is, I think, basically a title of those who were you know, kings and ruling at that time in parts of Israel under Rome. They didn't have, they didn't have autonomous authority. They were under Rome. But... Interesting, interesting people. You talk about a messed up family. You talk about a family that like train wrecked everything there is about family. This, this family did it. It starts out with Herod the Great. And Herod the Great was not great as far as a person or an individual or even, you know, even, you know, theologically or any of that. 
but he was a great builder. And that's why he got the name Herod the Great. Herod the Great built the city of Caesarea and, and kind of pushed it out into the water some and got it going. He built the whole retaining wall around the temple and the temple in Jerusalem at the time of Christ. He built Masada. You kind of get the idea. This guy was a builder, man. He knew how to build things and he was very, very good at it. So they called him Herod the Great. But that's the only thing he had going for him. Whenever we go to Israel and we're in Caesarea, we, we want to talk about, about this dynasty and what's going on. And, and so you have Herod the Great, and then we're going to kind of do a, the, the family tree from him a little bit. Herod the Great was married a minimum of eight times, maybe more, but a minimum of eight times. He executed six of his wives. Not a good guy to be married to, huh? And then, and then some he banished and etc. But so that's kind of how he rolled with his wives. He had at least 15 sons. We'll talk about some of them in a moment. He executed at least six of those sons. It was often said during while he was alive, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. That's how bad this guy was. I mean, he was super bad news. So, you know, and then when Herod knew he was going to die, he arrested and rounded up 500 Jewish men and requested that they be executed when his death was announced so that people would mourn because he knew no one had mourned from him. You kind of get the idea. Not a good guy, right? Not a guy you would want to have in your family tree. So back to his sons. He had some sons. A few of them survived. And the ones that survived, the most famous one I think that we know is Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John. Remember Herod Antipas? Remember what he did? Remember why John was upset with him? He married Herod Philip, his brother. He married his wife, took his wife from him, married her. John the Baptist kind of confronted them on it and said, hey guys, that's not a good way to roll. And so Herodias, that was her name, remember, demanded his head on a silver platter. Now, Herod Philip, we just get that little bit there about him. Now, he also had a son, Philip did. He had Herod Philip II. He went up north, and he built up an area that we go and see when we go to Israel, of Caesarea Philippi. We called it Philippi, named after him. Named after the Caesar, and then after him. So that's all we know about those guys. So not, not a whole bunch there. And then a couple others that are mentioned really briefly. Archelaus in Scripture, and as, as I said, Philip, these are some of his sons. And then Antipas. Now this Herod that we're reading here today, this is Herod Agrippa. This is the son of Aristobulus who was killed by Herod the Great. So Herod the Great married this lady, Miriam. She was part of the, the, the Maccabean dynasty. Do you guys, are you guys familiar with who the Maccabees are? The Maccabees are the one who restored the temple and kind of got it back together. That's where we get Hanukkah from. They had the Great War. Then they went to cleanse the temple. They only had oil for one day. They lit the oil. It lasted seven days, hence the seven days of Hanukkah. And that's where that celebration comes from. But the Maccabees rebelled against Rome and kind of got the temple back on track. Well, she's one of their, she's one of their children, and she's a princess, you know. And he marries her. And then they have a son. Or, uh, what, what did I say his name was? Uh, Aristopulus. So he murders, Herod the Great murders Miriam after the son was born. This son gets married. 
has a child, and then he's murdered. Kind of crazy, right? And he wipes him out. And that's where you get Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa is a descendant of Aristopolis. So a grandson, if you will, of Herod the Great, right? Well, after his dad was murdered, his mom takes off and goes to Rome. She wants to get out of, out of Herod's reach, right? Herod the Great, good idea. She goes to Rome, kind of hangs out in Rome, and that's where this guy gets some power. As he hung out with, in Rome, he ended up being a real high roller in Rome, got in a little bit of trouble and kind of did some things, but he made really good friends with Caligula before he was Caesar Caligula. Made good friends with him. He did, he kind of blew it. He badmouthed one of the Caesars, had to do a little time in prison. Got out of prison. Caligula then took the throne, became Caesar. He really liked Herod Agrippa, sent him back to Palestine or Judea and gave him a vast amount of that country as his domain. And then once Caligula died, Claudius, the next Caesar, even liked him more and gave him everything that Caligula didn't. So he ends up with a big, as big a kingdom as his dad. After his dad, after Herod the Great, it was all split up. Now it's back under Agrippa. Okay? So now we know who this guy is. Some of you are going, I really didn't want that much information. But it's good information, and it's kind of cool to, to think of where this guy came from. So that's who we're talking about, and that's this guy. Now, his mother was Jewish, right? Aristopolis married one of the, you know, or his grandmother was Jewish and his mother was Jew, uh, part Jew. So listen, this guy's got some Jewish blood, Agrippa. Keep that in mind. And so when he became in power, he wanted to, he wanted to get in good with the Jews. So he began practicing Judaism. He was pretty orthodox in things and, and he would you know, keep the Sabbath. He would keep dietary laws. He would even on certain days go up to the temple and offer things. He wouldn't go past the court of the Gentiles. He kind of knew better than that. But he would do some things. So here's the thing. He put on a show of religion so he could get the side and get the religious people on his side. Huh. Imagine a politician doing that. Right? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? So here you go, this guy's doing it. Oh, and then one more thing he did before we talk about what he's doing here. One more thing he did. He took the capital from Caesarea, the coastal area, and brought it back to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's going on. He's wanting the Jews to like him because they're, they're, they're the population that he's ruling over. He's wanting them to like him. So here's what he did. He stretched out his hand to persecute the church. He starts coming against the church. If you remember, we've been talking about the church was just considered a sect of Judaism, but even greater than that, it was kind of considered a heretical sect of Judaism. So the, church, so the Jews didn't like the church. We've already talked about that. So Herod says, hey, since I want to get on your side, I'm going to begin to pound these guys, and I'm going to begin to lean on them. Great guy, huh? So as he begins to lead on him, look at verse 2. It says, Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. Wow. Don't you think that's a little abrupt? I do. I mean, we're reading about this guy, and it says, Herod, you know, here's Herod, the king, you know, brought his hand to harass the Jews, or I'm sorry, harass the church, and then the very next thing is, then he killed James with a sword. Like, can we figure out when he got arrested and why he exactly went after... Why did he go after James? Why James? Do you, ever, do you ever ask your Bible questions? I do. 
That's my Bible. Why did he, why did he go after James, the brother of John? I don't know. You guys are thinking I'm going to give you an answer. I have no clue. James. And then, and then just not a lot. Now, it says he killed him with the sword, which means he beheaded him. According to Deuteronomy 13, here's an interesting thing. According to Deuteronomy 13, in the law, if someone came and they uh, brought another god and had you worship another god, you weren't supposed to, you know, normally with Jews, they stone people, right? You weren't supposed to stone them. You were supposed to take them out with a sword, behead them. Hmm. What was the church preaching? Jesus as the Messiah. So I believe Herod's thinking, if I behead this guy, man, I am going to be so tight with the Jews, man, they're going to be loving me big time, right? So James is beheaded. Now, the interesting thing about James, remember him and John and Peter, how close they were with Jesus? They were the three, right? They were the three that went on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were the three when he raised Jairus' daughter. They were the three in the garden. I mean, they were tight with Jesus. And then the two of them, James and John, remember when they were in, in, in uh, Samaria at one time? And they got, James and John got a little upset and they go, hey Jesus, you want us to call down fire like Elijah did? You want us to call down fire and toast these people? Now, here's what's interesting. They didn't say, could we? They said, should we? Right? They thought they could do it. And Jesus said, guys, dial it back a little bit. Like, we didn't come here to toast people, right? We came here to save people, so just dial it back. And then remember what he named them? Sons of Thunder. And then my favorite part about these two guys is they sent their mom to ask Jesus if they could, one be at his right hand, one be at his left hand. Now that kind of freaks me out. They're men. And they go and say, hey, mom, could you go talk to Jesus for us? And what did you send your mother for? I'm thinking, come on, guys. So they send their mom to talk to Jesus to see if one could be at his right and one could be at his left. They wanted that position of power, didn't have guts enough to ask for it themselves. And then do you remember what Jesus said? Because it plays into what we're reading. Remember what Jesus said? The place on my right and the place on my left is not determined by me, but has already been determined, Right? And then do you remember what he said? He said, hey, can you two drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you be baptized with a baptism I'm about to undergo? Do you remember their answer? Yes, we can. And now James is doing that. James is under drinking that cup and undergoing that baptism. So now one of the main pillars in the church, he's eliminated, he's gone, he's beheaded. Oh, and Herod's not done yet. He's thinking, wow, the Jews kind of like that. I'm going after more of them. So it tells us in verse 3, and because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now this was during the days of unleavened bread. So now he goes, man, if they liked what I did to James, wait till I do something to Peter. And he goes and he grabs Peter and arrests Peter. By the way, this isn't the first time Peter's been arrested. So he arrests Peter, and then it tells us, listen, this was during the days of the unleavened bread or the days of Passover. Those two terms are kind of interchangeable because the days of unleavened bread begin with Passover, and then after Passover day, then you go seven days of the, uh, of the celebration and the feast of unleavened bread. So it's kind of one, one thing. So listen, 
He did it during then. You don't kill people during a Jewish feast time. So, verse 4, So, when he had arrested him, he put him into prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Oh. So now he arrests Peter, and now he sticks four squads, that's 16 guys watching over Peter. I think, I think they went in shifts. You know, I think, I think they went in shifts of four. That's just opinion. But still, that's, that's some heavy, heavy guard over one guy. Why did he put all these guys? Usually you arrest a guy, you just put him in jail. Why did he do so many? As I said, third time Peter's been arrested. Interesting, isn't it? He got arrested in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, they brought him before the people, he, you know, him and John, remember? And they told him not to speak in his name anymore. And they go, yeah, whatever. You know, we're going to do it, right? They walked away. Then they got arrested in Acts chapter 5. You remember in Acts chapter 5 what happened after they got arrested? They just walked out of prison one day. The doors opened. They walked out. Herod's thinking, these guys have already escaped. Or this guy, I know, has escaped once. So I'm going to put some heavy guards on him. In other words, man, he beefs up the security. He puts him in what we would call a high security prison situation, right? And he kind of beefs everything up to guard him. You know, when I think of Peter, I think if Peter applied for working in our children's ministry, we did the background check on him, he wouldn't pass. He's got like a long record going on, right? It's like, dude, you keep getting arrested. You need to stop it. So listen, now you've got, now you've got him and he's guarding him with these four different guards, and he's waiting for Passover. After Passover, here's Herod's intent. Once Passover is done, I'm going to cut your head off. Wow. How would you feel if you were Peter? You just lost, listen, you just lost a close friend. Obviously some stuff's going on in the church. It's kind of a dark time, don't you think? Kind of a tough time to walk through. This is, listen, I think this is when Christianity becomes real. This is when you've got to walk the talk that you're talking. And now Peter's in a situation, he's going to die in a few days. That's it. Now some of you are going, Pat, I read the rest. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Peter hasn't. I think that's, that's one of the things I think we become familiar with stories and we, we lose the emotion and we, we lose what's really going on in the heart of a person. Can you imagine being Peter at this moment? And he didn't arrest like Peter and John. He arrested Peter. You're by yourself. You think Peter was singing that song, I Am Not Alone? I'm thinking he's singing that, huh? I'm thinking he, if he's not singing it, he's hearing Holly sing it. And man, he's just like kind of, okay, it's going to be all right, right? I am not alone. Oh, and then check it out, verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Listen, the church is praying. Listen, when it says constant prayer, I'm not even sure that's a good interpretation. It should say constant, fervent, dynamic prayer is going on. I love this, man. The church got together and the church did what the church should be doing. Our war, listen, when we wage war, we don't fight war with the, with the weapons of the, of the flesh. We wage war with spiritual weapons. And the church gets together and they begin to pray. What do you think the church is praying for? Praying for Peter to get out of prison, huh? Praying for him to be released. Praying that God would do some supernatural act to deliver that guy and save him and save the church. I'm sure that's what they were praying about. 
And Peter, Peter's sitting in prison, check this out. This is like my favorite part. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. I underline that in my Bible. Peter's doing what? He's sleeping. Part of it, I think, that's what Peter does. Right? I mean, read the stories about Peter. They're supposed to be praying for Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. What's Peter doing? Sleeping. But I also think when you're facing something difficult, when something in your life is going on, even if it's not as big as you're going to die tomorrow, because it says the night before Herod was going to bring him out, and usually I think if most of us knew we were facing execution in the morning, do you think you'd be sleeping? I'd be freaking out. I've got to be honest. I'd be a little bit uptight. Isn't it Peter, though? Isn't Peter the one? 1 Peter chapter 5. Great verse to memorize. Peter wrote a very simple... This is a great verse because it's easy to memorize. There's not a lot to it. Cast all your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. Isn't that pretty easy? Listen carefully. Peter didn't just write stuff. He fleshed it out first. Peter's cast all of his cares upon the Lord. He's sleeping while the guards are having to watch him. He's sleeping while the church is praying. He's kicked back thinking, I'm casting my cares upon the Lord and I am not alone. And I'm going to be okay. Do you even think, how about this? This is a little bit of speculation. Do you remember when Peter and Jesus walked on the shore of Galilee after Jesus rose from the dead? Remember they had breakfast and then he took feet for a walk? And he goes, Peter, do you love me? That whole thing I... Again, great passages. You know, someone told me the other day that I say almost every verse is my favorite verse, but it's because I love the Bible. But remember, they're walking along. This is a great story. They're walking along. Jesus says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. And we're not going to get into that message. But then do you remember what Jesus told him? He says, hey, Pete, when you were young, you dressed yourself. But when you get old, others will dress you, and they will take you, and they will execute you. He told him he's going to die. But what did he say? When you are old. I think Peter's sitting in this prison going, I ain't old. So I ain't dying. I'm not old yet. Jesus told me I was going to get old. So I ain't, maybe, maybe, right? Hang on to the promises of God, right? So here he is. He's sleeping. He's got two guards. Look what it tells us. So Peter was sleeping, bound in the middle of verse 6, bound with two chains between two soldiers and guards before the door who were keeping the prison. So here he is, chained to two guys. Normally you arrest a guy, you just stick him in a cell. If he's a bad guy, you chain him to a wall. If he's a really bad guy, you chain him to a soldier. He's chained to two soldiers. That's insane. Listen, you just don't do that unless you're maximum security freaking out this guy's going to escape. Now, don't you know that Peter shared Jesus with those two soldiers before he fell asleep? So here he is like this. And he's gone, man. He's out. Now look what God does. This is so good. Check it out. Verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in prison, and he struck Peter on the side, raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off, 
fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. Man, I love this. Listen, this angel shows up. Bright light, right? Doesn't it say a light? Here's Peter. There's a light shining. Peter's got to kick him in the side of the angel. Get up, dude. We're getting out of here today. Woo! Yes. And then what did he tell him? Just like, just like when we wake our kids up. What do we tell our kids on school morning? Get up, get your clothes on, tie your shoes, get your jacket, and go to school. Hey, Peter, get, he's treating him like a little kid. Pete, get up, put your clothes on, tie your shoes, get your jacket. We're blowing this place, right? And Peter's like, oh, man, I'm so sound asleep, man. I'm just like, like our kids. <laughs> Buttoned it crooked. He's going out. But you know what, what, I, what I really like about this? is God is doing something sovereign and bringing Peter out, but did you notice Peter has a responsibility? He's not, he, he can't just sit there. He's got to get up. He's got to get dressed. He's got to put his shoes on. He's got to get his jacket, and he's got to walk out of there. You know, I, I, I think sometimes we just want to be fed and fed and fed and fed and get the word and get the word, and we don't do anything, and then we become fatso's. You need to get out and do something, man. Do something with what you... I love this, Peter. You have to take part of the responsibility in getting out of this prison. You know, the world kind of tells us, kick back, take it easy. God says, why don't you go out and take a chance? Because here's what I'm thinking. It can't be too exciting to get your clothes on, tie your sandals, and walk out those doors. Here's the thing. Yeah, these two guys, I don't know what these two guys are drinking, but they're not reacting to anything, right? The guys he was chained to, you got to be asking yourself, what did the angel do to them, right? He gave them some, slipped them a Mickey or something. Like they're, you know, I don't know what they're doing. But get up and walk out. Now, you, listen, we're going to find out there's not just the two other guards who are near him. He's got to go through a couple guard posts and one last door. Oh, yeah, I remember in Acts chapter 5. He wouldn't say Acts chapter 5. But he said, I remember that one time we walked out, but it was just like one gate. I gotta go through all these guys. I wonder if they're asleep. I wonder if they're awake. So the, the angel tells him, so he went. I like this. So he went out, verse 9. He went out and he followed him and did not know what was done. Did not know that what was done uh, by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. Here's Peter thinking, I think I'm still asleep, man. This is just a dream. You ever have a dream where you don't know if you're dreaming? And you're just like in your dream, you're going, man, I hope I'm dreaming sometimes. Sometimes we go, I hope this dream never ends. But sometimes we're going, man, I hope I'm dreaming because this is not good, right? And Peter's going, I don't know if I'm dreaming. I don't know if I'm awake. So he's just kind of rolling with it, right? And he's going along. And then, listen, this, so uh, in verse 10, and when they were past the first and the second guard post, did you pick that up? The first guard post, then the second guard post, and they're going out. Here's, here's where the automatic door was invented. Check this out. They came to an iron gate that leads to the city which opened to them of its own accord. Peter's never seen this before. And he comes up and the thing goes... He goes, is this cool or what? Wow. Now, we're kind of used to that. He hasn't seen it. I bet he took notes. I just want to make sure we get all this done. I want to I make sure we get, the, we get a patent on this thing. 
Out they go, man. They're gone. They're taken off. So they get out to the street, and Peter, listen, is in the middle of verse 10, after the thing opened on its own accord, and he went out, and he went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. That is scary. You're walking along, and then it's like, where's the angel, right? It just, it's just, he's gone. This guy, I would, be, I would be a little, hey, I just broke out of prison. I kind of need your help maybe. What if somebody shows up and now, where'd he go? So I think Peter, look at it, it shocked Peter so much. Verse 11, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of, Pharaoh, of, of Herod and, check this out, from all the expectation of the Jewish people. Whoa, Peter knew the Jews were kind of behind this too. And he's going, man, I got it. What is the Passover? The celebration of what? The exodus. What did Peter just do? He exodus is it right out of that prison, right? That's kind of interesting, isn't it, man? He's going, yeah, man, I get a double Passover. He's like cruising, and he's going, man, God did this. And I think he had a little, I think he had a little dance in the street, right? A little victory dance. Woo! I'm out. I'm out. Right? And then he goes, I gotta, I gotta go tell the church. I gotta let the church know. So he takes off to find the church, right? Now, listen, he knew where the. It's, it's interesting to me. Peter knew exactly where to go. Why didn't other people know where to go? Remember, the church didn't have buildings at that time. Church meant met in homes. He knew exactly which house to go to. So when he had considered this, in verse 12, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. What's the church doing? Praying. Praying for who? Peter. For Peter to be what? Delivered from prison, right? So he gets to the house, and I think, I think maybe he might even hear him and stuff. And, and listen, this was, this, was some, this was a really nice house. This house had a courtyard. This house had some stuff. How do you know? Well, we'll, we'll read in a minute. Man, this is a nice house. I think Mary, I think Mary, the mother of Mark, by the way, side note, every woman in the Bible, that was the most popular name in the first century for women, right? Mary, 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 Mary. What's your name? Mary Shock. So this is Mary, the mother of Mark. You had to always go Mary, the mother of, so you'd know which Mary you're talking about, Right? So this is Mary, the mother of Mark, whose surname was John. This is the guy who wrote the second gospel. They're at her house. Many speculate that this is the same house they did the Last Supper in. This is the same house they were at when the Holy Spirit came upon them. I don't know. I don't know if it's the same house. But here's what I know. The church is praying for Peter to be delivered. Peter shows up at the house. It's got a, listen, it's got a gate. It's got a courtyard and it's got a gate. On the, you got bucks when you have your house. And then you have courtyard, and you have another perimeter wall with a locked gate on it. You're, you're rolling, right? So he goes to that outside door. Listen, he came there. He went. He knew they were gathered there to pray. Verse 13, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer it. Now, a couple things about this kind of shocked me a little bit. Why do we get her name? 
I don't have an answer. I'm thinking last week. Remember last week we read about the great revival that took place in Antioch? And what does it say? Some men. I would have liked a few names. I would have liked to know who was involved in that. Just some men. Some men from Cyrene and Cyprus. Why don't they say some girl went? Why do they tell me Rhoda went? I don't have an answer. <laughs> you guys always look like I'm going to tell. I have no idea, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking she's going to be fun to talk to in heaven. So this girl, I don't know how old she was. Some people speculate she was super young. I don't know. But this girl wrote as she goes to the door, listen, and, and she answered it. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So here's this girl. She goes out and she goes, who is that? And he's, I'm, I'm assuming, and he goes, it's Peter. What? And she runs back in, right? And she's telling everybody, Peter's out there. And she forgets to open the gate. This guy's a wanted man. And she's going in, Peter's out there, man. I can't believe Peter got delivered. And you, you know how excited she'd be, right? And she's like running around excited, telling everybody Peter got delivered. But they said to her, verse 15, they said to her, Hey, Rhoda, you're a crazy lady. Here's what I'm thinking. What are you guys praying for? What are you praying for? Well, we're praying Peter will get delivered. Well, he just did, and you're calling the girl crazy telling you he got delivered. Don't we often pray that way? Don't we often pray not believing? I mean, when you're praying for something big, I, I, I'm hoping you, you believe in a lot of your prayers. But I think if some of us get gut, gut check on us, a lot of times when we're praying something like Peter getting delivered from jail, from a maximum security prison, I think we're thinking, man, that's a nice prayer, but probably ain't going to happen. I'm thinking that's what that church was doing. They're just like, he ain't going to get delivered. And she's in there going, he's delivered. It ain't going to happen. Do you remember in Mark, the one whose house they're at, in Mark chapter 9, remember when Jesus was going to heal the guy's boy? Remember he walks up to the guy and Jesus said, do you believe that I can heal him. Remember that? I love that. And he answers and he says, yes, Lord, I believe. But what did he say? But help my unbelief. Yeah, I believe like this much, but I think I need this much right now. So Lord, I only have this much. Can you help my unbelief? I love that. And Jesus said, no, man, your kid's going to die. That's not what he said. That's what, that's what some people teach. They teach you, if you don't have enough faith, if you don't believe enough, it's not going to happen. That's a, that's a bad, bad, bad doctrine. Help my unbelief. I'm thinking these people needed to be asking Jesus to help their unbelief, right? Here they are. They're not believing. She's screaming and yelling. She's going, he's out there. You're out of your mind, girl. And then, and then she just like, she just kept going, right? Verse, in the middle of verse 15, she kept insisting. Listen, she kept going, man. They're going, you're out of your mind. Rhoda. I'm not crazy, man. I was just praying with you guys, and he's out there. And they're going, so, so look at their last thing they came up with. This is kind of crazy. So they said, it's his angel. What on earth is that? What is that? What are you, it's his angel? Now, some people, a lot of people say, it's his guardian angel which, you know, you can have, you can believe that or not believe that, and it's a kind of a huge controversy. I'm going to tell you something. If I have a guardian angel, he is so bunged up. He is so messed up. He's, in, he's probably in a rehab hospital trying to get strength again because he's, I've kept him busy. But listen, listen, why would you say his guardian angel has the same voice as Peter? 
I'm thinking they're thinking, here's what I'm thinking they're thinking. Peter was executed and it's his spirit. That's what I'm thinking they're saying. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, you know, I'm not an expert in Greek, so I don't want to get into all that. But that's what I'm thinking they're thinking. And so, and listen, so, so they're in there having this argument, and Peter's out there going, would somebody open the door? Right? He's thinking, I'm wanted out here, and I'm causing a commotion. So, verse 16, but Peter, now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. I bet they were. That's why you don't want to miss prayer meetings. Right there, man. Right there. You don't know who's going to show up. Man, Peter walks. Woo! Yes! And they're like, don't you know they... Look, they had to get really loud. Look at verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him. Listen, here's what he's going. Dial it down, guys. I'm wanted. We've got to keep it quiet here. We don't know who's, we don't know who's out there, right? Keep it quiet. And then he begins to tell them the testimony. Don't you know this was wonderful? He began to tell them that, you know, how the Lord had delivered him. It says how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And then he said, in the end of verse 17, he said, go tell these things to James and to the brethren. Now don't get confused. He doesn't think James is still alive. He's not talking about that James. He's talking about another James. What other James is there? There's James, the brother of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about who Jesus appeared to in, in chapter 15, when he's talking about the appearance of Jesus, he says that Jesus appeared to James. The brother of Jesus got converted someplace along the line right after the resurrection because Jesus appeared to him. And then someplace along the line, that James began to become a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And by the time we get to chapter 15, he's a full-on leader. Which I think right here, he must be a leader. Why, or else, why else would Peter say, go tell James and everybody else? Here's what he's saying. Go let him know. And then, and then check this out. The end of verse 17. And he departed and went to another place. Where'd he go? Listen carefully. To another place. But where was it? It was another place. People go, well, I think I know where he went. I don't care if you think you know where he went. I know where he went. To another place. He was a wanted individual. I kind of like this because here's what Peter's doing. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes the church, we can be on one end of the spectrum and kind of do nothing and da-da-da. And then sometimes we're at the other end of the spectrum and we kind of get, get cocky and arrogant. And, well, if God delivered me out of prison, I'm just going to walk down Main Street, man, because God delivered me and they can't touch me. That is bogus. That's arrogance. Peter was delivered from prison. What did he do? He went and laid low for a while. I gotta cool this for a while. I gotta, I gotta not be seen. I gotta get out of the, you know, the whole thing. I'm not gonna meet with the church. I'm gonna go to another place. Did he go to Caesarea? I don't know. Did he go to Joppa? I don't know. Did he go to Antioch? I don't know. He went to another place. But he went and laid low. Now, let's talk about a couple questions that, that I think come up in all of our minds. As you read this story, I think one of the major questions that people will ask is why James and why Peter? Why did James die and Peter got delivered? That's a fair question, I think. We ask that question and, you know, I, 
Part of me wants to say, because Peter was Jesus' favorite. I don't know. We know that's not true, right? Why James? Why did James die and Peter was delivered out of prison? I don't think we have an answer. God's sovereign. God knows what he's doing. And you know, when we get to questions like that, I think it's important for you and I to understand something. There's things that we can't answer. God has a whole bunch more information than we do. First and foremost, tons more information and data than we do. Number two, God is always just in what he does. Always, always. So when we don't know something, listen, don't run with what you don't know. Run with what you do know. And here's what I know about God. He's good. He's righteous. He's just. He's holy. He's fair. Do I need to go on? So I know all of those things are true about God. So I don't have an answer. And bottom line, is it that bad for James to die? I don't think James is bumming out right now. I think he's in the presence of Jesus going, ah, Peter, I beat you. <laughs> Listen, all he's doing is getting blessed in heaven. And I understand we get upset because when we lose somebody, we lose them and it hurts and it's painful. I understand that. But the person we lose, if they're a believer, they're not bumming. They're in heaven. So kind of keep that perspective. So I, I think we can't really answer other than God is sovereign. And then another thing that I want to hit on here is we need to be people who are praying for people in bondage. Hmm? I'm talking about physical bondage, not, not demonic things. When was the last time you prayed for somebody in prison for their faith? Some people are going, oh, I don't think they put people in prison for their faith. Yeah, they do all over the world. When was the last time you spent some time? Just some good hard time. I've got to be honest, it's been a while for me. I, I, I've been convicted reading this. I'm going I'm to start getting searching and getting some information and, and, and begin to pray for people. I remember during the whole communist rule and dictatorship, uh, some of you may remember this name, Brother Andrew. Used to do ministry in communist nations. Great, great. Man, I love reading his stuff. And he was just, he was just a crazy Christian. He would do the most bizarre things in, the, in, those, in those countries. And uh, one thing that Brother Andrew did that was really cool was he would give out names of Christians who were in prison in Russia because of their faith. And you could pray for him. And my daughter and I, she was at home at that time, smaller. I said, hey, Leah, why don't we get a prisoner and pray for her? Yeah, Dad, let's do that. It was kind of a father-daughter bonding time. We sent away and we got Anna. I still remember her name. We got Anna. And we put Anna up on her fridge. And we began, we prayed for Anna every day for like two and a half, three years, maybe three and a half years. Every day, my daughter and I prayed that Anna would get out of prison. One day we got a letter. Anna's out of prison. Yes, you're so happy, man, because you feel like you were part of that, right? Some of you are going, you're too excited. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. And I want to challenge us. Find some people. When was the last time you've prayed about the human trafficking situation in our world? Girls being taken out of their countries, sold as sex slaves. Hey, church... We don't fight the battles with fleshly weapons. We fight with spiritual weapons. 
We need to be praying. We need to be getting information. There is a ton of information on human trafficking that you can get today, that you can begin to pray and bring down those strongholds. Hebrews chapter 13 tells us that we should pray for those in prison as though, and I'm paraphrasing, as though it was either we ourselves are in prison or someone from our family. We need to get bonded. I think we've kind of lost that in the church, right? Because we're happy and joy and all of that, and we forget, man, there's people suffering. Some of them suffering for the name of Christ. Others, I think, in human trafficking are suffering because there's jerks out there that you and I need to be praying for deliverance. So let's do that. There's a little bit of a somber thing at the end, you know, to think about our responsibility and what we can do. Now, don't you love this story? Wouldn't it be great to get news that a whole human trafficking chain was broken because you were praying? Mm, that'd be sweet, huh? Wouldn't it be wonderful to get news that some guys are delivered out of Saudi or one of those countries because you were praying for them as a Christian? Oh, yeah. So there's good news for us today. We just need to get involved. So let's stand up and pray. Father, we look at...